0: we can share knowledge with one another, whether that's on webinars or on LinkedIn. Definitely rely on people you know who already do this successfully. Um, A lot of times they're more than willing to share their knowledge and help you. So I would say have a good network of people that you know that do reports. And then there are different ways that you can kind of borrow people's playbooks so that it makes it easier for you that you're not starting from scratch
1: you're listening to content logistics a podcast for b2b marketers looking to build a content engine that drives revenue in each episode camille trent interviews the marketers behind the best content marketing flywheels and uncovers the tactical aspects of content production from first draft to first customer hello and welcome to another episode of content logistics i'm your host camille trent and this episode is brought to you by tristan and justin they are my friends over at motion agency they're also the ones that make all of my cool clips for linkedin and quotes if you've seen those they also do the summary of this episode they pretty much do all of the work and i just sit here and talk to smart people I also have to book them and do a little bit of research, but really, I think I got the better end of that deal. So if you would like to be in a similar position, I recommend hiring them immediately. Today, my guest is Erin Balsa. She is the Director of Marketing at Predictive Index, and we've been LinkedIn pals for a while. So I thought I'd bring her on to talk to her face-to-face or screen-to-screen and talk about the logistics of launching a research report. So every content team, every content person that I've ever met complains about bad data, bad stats, bad sourcing. If you Google a stat, there's no source, right? Or if you track down the source, you you finally find it, you're like digging, digging, it's 10 years old. Or like my personal favorite was when there's two different sites and they're linking to each other. Like neither of them actually have the source, but they're just linking to each other. Yeah. So basically there's the scarcity of good data and like an even bigger shortage of like just good reporting to get that good data. And so that's why I have brought on Aaron Balsa today, who is the director of marketing over at Predictive Index And she's been doing this for years as a managing editor, as a content leader, as a marketing leader. And so she is here to tell us how to do a reporting, or sorry, a research report. Right. So Erin, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thank you for having me here. Some of my personal annoyances with, with data and research and like just finding stats, writing good content. So tell me about your personal annoyances. Like, let's just dish for a while. And what mistakes do you see content and marketing teams get wrong when they're planning research reports? So as a writer,
0: that's how I started out in my career, looking for research and it's impossible to find the original source because a lot of writers don't know how to properly cite their sources and they'll just find, you know, a top 10 listicle that just blurts out some stats and they'll link to that and you can't do that. You're supposed to always cite the original source, right? So it's really hard to find good data that you can trust because if you can't tie down the original study where that statistic came from, you can't prove it. And that's why we have so much misinformation out there on the Internet today. And I always say just because someone says it, you don't just believe it at face value. You should always investigate and try to get facts because people have a lot of opinions these days,
1: myself included. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, this is like bringing me back to to one of the projects I did over at marketer hire and it was like specifically email marketing stats, right? And at the beginning I was like, oh, I have like all of this to go off, like there's so many so many sites and stuff that like that I'd pulled and then like as I was writing it and like as I was uh, editing it a little bit and like working with working with our other editor on it, there was basically just two solid sources right like i was like i thought that i had all of this and i was like i ended up just being being like two or three that i could really trust or that were uh, up to date and so yeah actually citing sources like actually having to do that and proving your work like the content gets a lot harder and then you start to realize like oh like this is why legit content marketers price how they do and so i think that's like an important important thing to take here too
0: that's true because every time your brand writes some blog post that's spitting out misinformation because your writer didn't do their due diligence, it makes you look bad, right? So you should always be trying to educate and build trust with every single content piece you put out. So this is for you, content writers and marketers. Make sure that you get people to actually know what they're doing. And if not, train them well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's... Yeah, point number one, just like hi- hire well. Like if, if you don't hire well, everything else is going get, to get harder. So that's step number one in this process. So tell me about your aha moment just with like proper research reporting, meaning like when did you, there's obviously all sorts of content that you can create on your team. So when did you start with research reports? And when were you like, oh, we should do more of these?
0: When I started at PI a little over three years ago, it's the first time that I ever was kind of shown the basics. And when I took that over, I created a process and I kind of put some systems in place to make sure that they were easier to do with less room for error. Because that's the one thing that derails the process is if people don't have super clear expectations and there's nobody project managing everything tight and running a very tight ship, it can easily go off the rails because there's a lot of moving pieces to juggle when you're doing original research. And unless you kind of know what you're doing, it's hard to just dive in and, and wing it. It's not the kind of content piece you can just wing and expect good results.
1: Right, right. So what uh, what kind of results were you were you seeing from it? Was there a point like when you saw the returns and you're like, oh, this is we're seeing ROI on this and, and it's better than other things that we're doing, so we'll double down.
0: So, you know, the whole idea of putting gates in front of content. I know there are lots of strong opinions on that. I have my own. Happy to share them. But a lot of times people will just throw a gate in front of some super weak ebook that could have been a blog post and they will have you give your phone number and all this information. And like, that's such a letdown. Like, if that is an experience I go through, I'm always kind of let down unless it's like this amazing content piece. When it comes to a report, people tend to be less let down because they know the amount of work that went into this. They know that it's super valuable. It's not just some random thoughts that you could have just put on the blog and you're just kind of being an a-hole by asking them to fill out a form. You're actually giving them something unique. No one else has this exact thing in the world and it's more valuable. um, So you're not breaking their trust by asking them for their information. And then in terms of results, yeah, you can easily see how many people that, you know, become a lead, whether it's their hand raiser and we're tracking them, we, you know, have a cookie. So if they view the HTML page that has the report on it ungated, we cookie them. And then if they eventually request a demo, become an organic hand raiser, we can say, Oh, look, they interacted with the report along their journey. Or if we do decide to put some sort of form on the HTML page that they can download a PDF version of the report, we obviously consider that a marketing source lead and we can see how many of those leads become squos, And that's kind of like a huge goal, qualified pipeline. And then from there, we can see how much of that turns into revenue. And we've had a lot of success generating both hand raiser leads and those short term, low intent leads that sometimes you need those to meet your monthly scroll goals and your revenue goals. So obviously, it's like I'm kind of on the same camp as most modern marketers. I want to try to generate as many organic can raisers as possible. But sometimes you need to supplement that with some low intent leads and reports are perfect for both.
1: Perfect. Yeah, I think that was a a great overview of just why, why research reports, why to even do this to begin with. And you kind of answered. So I did have that question later on of gated or ungated, right? And it seems like, you know, you can do both, but you just need to make sure that you're delivering what you say that you're going to deliver. But do you have a a preference between gated or ungated, like can do in both ways? What what do you like to do?
0: I think it depends on your business model and what other you know, things you have going on, because at the end of the day, it's not really up to what my preference is, it's up to what the business needs. And if I'm not giving them enough high intent leads to meet their goals, I have to also give them low intent leads. And if that means we have to throw a gate on there, we have to. But I am not a fan of putting a gate, I'm a fan of doing like strategic gating. So for me, there's different ways you can do strategic gating. For example, you might put some of the report on a page. So whoever wants to read it, they're still getting value. And then whoever wants to read the rest, or some people just like to download the PDF and then they'll give you their information more willingly. They don't feel trapped, like they have no other option. It's either leave the page or give their information. There's a third option. It's spend two minutes reading this information that's ungated and then make your decision whether you wanna dive in deeper or hit the back button. And either way, at least I know that you've interacted with our content.
1: Yeah, I like that. I like that. That's a good answer. Okay. So now that uh, everyone is, is super bought into this strategy, uh, you definitely want a research report now. Let's go into how we get that done. So who who is this for? Like what would be the ideal business for a research report? And then what kind of budget? So these kind of go hand in hand. Like if you're a super small company, you're going to have a smaller budget probably.
0: Yes, that's true. So B2B companies definitely can benefit from research reports because they really help pin you as a thought leader in your industry, which can be a lot less important for B2C, obviously. So B2B businesses, typically you want to have a little bit of a budget. And the biggest reason why is that typically if you don't have your own team of data scientists or data analysts, you can farm that part out to a research firm, whether that's Qualtrics, Dynata, SurveyMonkey, even has the ability to, to purchase an audience because number one, it can be hard to secure an audience on your own. And number two, it can be hard to know how to properly clean data, make sure it's valid data, and get everything ready to actually write. So I know some people have zero budget and they kind of wing it and they build like a Google form and they reach out to their network and they're like, hey, fill out this, this survey, and they get like 50 people and they call it a research report. But I'm talking about something that's actually going to have some fud factor. It's going to have some gravitas. Smart people who are in leadership positions at companies are going to be, they're going to be able to tell that this is actually something that has some scientific rigor to it, as opposed to something that some freelancer on Fiverr didn't like their basement. No offense to people who live in basements. It's fine. But I don't know that the company wants to have something that looks like you spent $5 on it. That was mean.
1: I think you're right. Like ultimately, like to get the attention of a suite, of a C-suite person is already hard enough, right? And right. so you have to think about being in their shoes and like having that limited amount of time. Like, what's going to get your attention? Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, it it are, it is like the Gartner reports, mm-hmm. like of the world, right? And like the up spots and the Salesforce like type reports. And so if you can get to that caliber, and uh, and and it's not difficult. I feel like if you start with a community, like. That's that's gonna be a big part of this too. If you if you have your own community, you have like those people to to talk to. But if you don't, I feel like that's the hardest part. Like in doing this before or in being like a, a research TA in school, I remember that being the trick is getting just like qualified entries, right? Like, qualified, filled out surveys, because you can get people like you can get bodies to fill out surveys, but getting like the right bodies to to fill out surveys, like is the hard part here.
0: So true. I don't know if you had anything
1: to add to that. No, it's so
0: true. And a lot of times we don't want to survey just anyone, we might want to survey C level executives and company presidents. And that's really, really hard to just go out on your own and find uh, some sort of large quantity of those people, you might be able to find 10 or 20 friends that are willing to do that for you. But do they meet the criteria of your ICP? You don't just want any old, you know, CEO, maybe you want someone that falls into a certain company size, company stage, a certain industry. And so that is when partnering with an audience firm, someone that can get an audience together for you can save you a lot of time and headache.
1: Perfect. Okay. So if let's look at like three different budget options. So we're talking like zero budget, and then maybe like around that 5K and around that 10K for different size companies. What would you recommend for, for surveys for each of those? It's hard to
0: make a recommendation without understanding who they need to survey. So for example, once a year at the Predictive Index, we do a people management report, and we survey full-time employees at all levels. Doesn't matter what industry, doesn't matter anything. So it's actually Pretty easy to find that audience. When I say easy, we still purchase the audience to survey, but it's pretty inexpensive. Um, So, like, 2,000 responses might be like $10,000. And you don't need 2,000 responses. You're fine with like 200 if you're really on a tight budget. So, it's pretty affordable. If you need to survey executives, it can get more expensive. So, I would say like the bare bone budget, if you want to survey like VP and above, would be like $3,600. And that's to purchase the audience. That's not including the survey build. So if you are able to build this, when I say build program, if you're able to program the survey, you're writing your own questions, you're programming the the software, and then you're buying the audience. That's about 3,600 for say, maybe 200 responses. Yeah, I think that's about right. It's usually about like 40 or so dollars, a completed response. Don't quote me on that. I have it all written down. But top of mind, you know, I'm tired. I'm old. I can't remember things that clearly as I once as I once could. But I would say I personally don't always want to program the survey because it's not my thing. Sometimes we're so busy doing other things and you can pay someone like three thousand dollars just to to handle all that. And then again, Where the expenses can stack up is if you don't have somebody on your end that can clean the data and kind of take that raw CSV file of data and kind of clean it, use some pivot tables. It's really hard to do that on your own. I wouldn't never, I would never want to take a CSV file and try to make sense of it. It's just way too hard. So you want to either have someone in your team that can do that for you, a data scientist or analyst, or you want to pay the vendor to do that for you. Because data integrity is like everything. Yeah, no, I
1: think. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's a great breakdown of you, you need to create the survey, right? Like you need to build it in something like Qualtrics or Typeform or whatever it is. And I think what you're mentioning too is you kind of need to be a sort of like a tech savvy person to do that because oftentimes there is like logic built into that if then statements and so knowing your strengths like on your team i think is a good thing that you pointed out and if you have that that martech person uh, on your team or that mark marketing ops kind of person they'd be pretty good at it but just yeah knowing what you can do and what you can't do well and uh, i think that's a part of it and then gathering your audience or knowing who you're going to send the survey to whether if you have that community in-house or if that's something that you need to ship out to a PR agency mm-hmm. that's an expense and then then there's the da- data scientist right and so uh, making sense of making sense of that data whether or not you have those tools Mm -hmm. in house. So looking at all of those like as expenses, I think sometimes we don't consider like all of the steps we're like, we'll send out a survey and then we'll have answers. Boom. (laughs) Like, like survey. But there's actually a lot, a lot more to it. Like even what I just described, those three steps, there are steps in between there that that I skipped over, which we are going to go into. So (laughs) planning and (laughs) timelines, planning and timelines, how much uh, time does this process process take? And to how much internal time would you dedicate to it? And we talked about that being like dependent on what skills you have internally, but maybe just walk me through your team or, or what you would suggest.
0: So I always give myself 90 days to do it start to finish, sometimes even more if I really don't want to be stressed and I want to make sure we have plenty of time because we have a lot of other things going on. I typically say 90 days is a safe window where we're not going to be stressed out. Now, if you are a company that's doing like no marketing right now and you have tons of time, could you get this done in a month? Probably. But if you're a company that has a lot of different balls in the air, your teams are busy. You're going to want to give yourself plenty of time so that you're not stressed out. So planning is, you know, something that I like to handle. So I have a template. So every single step for every single piece of the puzzle is a task, because the most important thing you can do as a project manager is give everybody complete clarity on what's expected of them. Something I've learned from running enough of these report campaigns is that you can never assume people know what you want them to do or what they're supposed to do because of their job title or because of the way they've done it in the past. You have to constantly make your expectations clear. Um, I mean, easy example of that. We had a, a new web developer who took the wireframe that my graphic designer made, built this beautiful web page, and it had the animation. It was great. And then the next report, same thing happened, built this beautiful web page, but it didn't have the animation. And it was like, ah, what happened? Where's the animation? We definitely want that. And it's because that wasn't clearly explained. So the expectation wasn't set. So Really easy thing is to go back into your template and just update that task. So it says, you know, make HTML page with the animation. It's clear. There's no mistakes. So a lot of like this whole project management is understanding what could go wrong and putting systems and mechanisms in place to prevent that from happening again. So every single time you do this, it's a lot smoother.
1: Yeah, like the, the thing I was getting from that is just documenting the first time, right? Oh, yeah. Like the first time is going to be a little bit messy and you're going to miss things. But if you're documenting what things that you missed and what, what went wrong, you can just add that to the initial project plan and it's automatically better, exactly. right? Exactly.
0: Document, document, and iterate. That's definitely a smart strategy.
1: Nice. Okay, so planning, timelines, talked about that. The other thing that I was wondering with this, though, is the percentage of your day-to-day, right? And so you're, you're doing other content projects on top of this. And so I don't know if you can allot, like, the exact amount of time, but how do you think of it in terms of, like, a pie chart? Like, what percentage of your time is, like, dedicated to this over those 90 days?
0: All right, so as a project manager... Not a ton, you know, every single day. So the the biggest lift for me is the setup. So there's a part of my template that's just planning. It's like, make this board, assign all the people, plan the kickoff meeting, build the kickoff deck, blah, blah, blah. It's like a lot of planning that goes into it. So I might spend eight or 10 hours just planning all these moving pieces. And holding this kickoff meeting, setting the expectations, walking people through this process that I have as part of the kickoff. And then from there, it's honestly, it's pretty light. If I'm not writing the report, I just check that board like once a day, once every other day to make sure that the steps are happening when they're supposed to happen. And then, you know, I check in with people and see if they have any questions, then I'll be part of the review process. So I'm reviewing the outline, giving feedback, I'm reviewing the first draft of the report, I'm reviewing the graphic design I'm reviewing the charts and giving feedback I'm reviewing the HTML page to make sure that the animations are there and things like that so it's just a lot of checking in you know unblocking my team the people that are doing the work and making sure that they have everything they need to be successful I usually take part in helping craft the kind of beginning storyline hoping to you know tell this kind of story and i help with starting to write the questions for the for the survey um, just making sure that all the people doing the work are unblocked and that they can proceed with clarity did i ever answer your nice. question okay so do did you I end up go in circles i don't know timing yep. wise if i really had to guess as a project manager i don't know maybe 30 hours total time and then if you're writing a report maybe another 20 hours to write it because the reports we do are pretty long but it really depends if you want to put out really easy breezy 10 page report it's not going to take you that long if you want to put out a 30 40 50 page flood factor report it's going to take a bit longer so it could be 30 hours
1: yeah, no, that's, that's helpful. Cause it ends up being like 10, 10 hours every month, right? If you're doing like 30 over the course of 90 days, yep. but it seems like it's kind of front loaded too, where it's like 10 hours, like up front, like just planning, everything is actually going to save you several hours, like throughout just, just by setting it up right the first time. Right. And not having to fix like as you go and like continue right. fixing, not that I've, I've ever been in that situation, <laughs> but yeah. So planning, planning correctly and 30 hours and then 20, like I want to emphasize as far like 20 to write the report or, and that's if it, if it is or more, yeah, on like a long report. But I also want to point out, like you can get smaller things from that too, right? Like you oh, can yeah. write like little blog posts from that. And so I think if you if you hear that and at face value, it's like, well, 20 hours, that's like that's a ton of time. But like thinking about like those mini reports that can come from it and that those like mini content pieces, like that's a lot of social posts in there.
0: So I have my template and part of that is everything that happens after the report is live. So there's all these different steps that happen. Then the report's live. Then it's distribution, promotion. And that's where the content repurposing comes in, you know, and not only the stuff that you're creating, also all the other companies that are now creating stuff about your report. So you're getting like the double impact. So when we do reports, you know, we've been picked up by the New York Times, Forbes, Inc. Um, so a lot of different big pubs plus industry pubs. So it's definitely a great way to get PR and press. And, you know, you can be on podcasts yeah. talking about your proprietary data, you can get invited on webinars to talk about these things, you can use the data to host your own webinar, we actually did that in August, we put out a report, we use the exact same data hosted a similar webinar on the same title. At the end, we said, hey, anybody interested in requesting a demo? And we had like 147 handraisers from that report. And we led with this proprietary data. We showed that we knew our space. We knew our customers. We were thought leaders. We had our finger on the pulse. And that matters. That really does portray you as competent. And that's a really great way to build trust.
1: Yeah, I love that. That's a great stat too. Was it uh, a CTA at the end of the report? Like, How how were you asking for that demo? Right in
0: the webinar. So we had a webinar that was around the same topic as the report headline. And we'd walk people through this data and kind of explained why this could be happening. And then we take a lot of Q&A during our webinars and try to answer questions live. Then at the end, we poll the attendees and we say who would like to request a demo. And we'll just kind of lock it down right there. Lock it nice. down. Yeah, no,
1: this is this is the really fun part. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is the fun part, I think, is like the go to market kind of like plan that goes with the research report because you can see like your work pay off, right? And mm-hmm. you can see people one, engaging, engaging with the content itself, like even that initial piece, probably with the, with the actual report, having that go live, but then like turning it into other pieces of content, right? Mm-hmm. And getting those hand raisers. So that's a good one. You also mentioned it being picked up by, you know, the New York Times, which I know you guys have been in the New York Times before, other publications. So is that something that you're building into the plan, like you briefing those, those publications? Tell me a little bit more about that.
0: It's all part of the template. We have a, you know, different sections for different functions. And one of the sections is PR. So we have a bunch of steps that we do as part of our PR plan, as part of the whole report campaign. We have you know <clears throat> organic promotion, paid distribution. We have all these different steps and, and pieces so that we can make sure the report gets seen by as many people as possible.
1: Nice. Nice. Okay. So you mentioned, yeah, your organic webinars, the report itself, it's going out to these publications paid, anything that I'm missing that you you'd say, absolutely. Like, make sure this is part of your go to market plan.
0: Hmm. I think honestly paid is important. I think that you do have to have some sort of budget, especially if, you don't want to gate the report on your website. So say you have a content strategy where you want to have all your best content available for free. So it gets the most eyes possible. That's cool. But if you also need to generate X volume of low intent leads to feed the sales team, then you need to have a paid budget because you need to put this report out behind like a LinkedIn lead gen form or something like that so that you can collect some leads. So I would say, Paid is important. And I can just give like a simple example of how it actually works in real life. So recently we were pulling some journeys just to see some of our real buyer journeys. One person first discovered PI. They did a search and they landed on an SEO blog post. They clicked the blog CTA. They signed up for Learn, which is our customer education platform that we built essentially. They browsed. They looked at some courses. They didn't take any. And then they like, ghosted us and they forgot about us for a while. And then we released a report and we put it out and we paid some paid retargeting. And this person saw it and was like, oh, what's this? Remembered us, so read the report, went back to learn, took a few courses, read a few eBooks and then requested a demo. So it really does work, but it all has to kind of work in harmony. You know, if we just created this report and we just like put it out on our company social page, I mean, that might not have exactly the same impact as a more holistic strategy. And you kind of need to have like earned, owned and paid channels all working in harmony to get the biggest impact.
1: Yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Because it goes back to how your gold, right, As Mm -hmm. as a marketing person, or a content person, and then also what your company just goals are in general, right? right? Like what, what they expect from you. So there's that side of it to, to consider. Okay. So the other part was prioritizing the story. So going back, I guess, like to the, to the beginning. So so just at the very beginning stage, like what is this report going to be about? Right. So most companies can talk about a few different things in their reports. So how do you prioritize, like, what's the best thing for our company to be talking about now? How do you think through that?
0: So for me there's a few buckets to consider. So number 1, obviously company goals. So that seems obvious like do we want to make money? Do we want leads? But sometimes there's other things that come to play. So for example, at the predictive index, we created a market category a couple of years ago. So one of our for- first and foremost like guiding goals is to make sure people ad- are aware of our category and adopt our category. So every year we have one report that is a state of town optimization report. Do that every year. And of course, yeah, we always wanna collect leads too, but category awareness is like the primary reason that we have that report every year. Then the second thing is market trends. So for example, during 2020, we're all forced to work remotely. I'm sure you remember that. It was great time for all of us especially those of us with kids at home, It's really fun. So for example, during that time we were like, okay, so we cannot proceed business as usual. We can't just put out this like report that's talking about reaching your business goals. We just have to give people help so that they can survive. And a lot of our clients, They might not be in technology. They're not tech companies, so they're not used to using Zoom. Some of these people are working remotely for the first time ever, using remote meeting technology for the first time ever. So we came from a point of how can we help and how can we respond to market trends? So we did our first ever remote work report. And then the third bucket, so first you have your business goals, then you have market trends, And then you have product launches. So for example, if I'm launching a new module for my software, maybe I want to marry that product launch with a report on a similar topic. And then you have a pretty natural CTA. You might not wanna put people right to the request demo, but maybe you wanna see if they wanna take a course that you created that's on the same topic. And then maybe after the course, you wanna try to get them into the software. So I would say those are my main three buckets.
1: Yeah, I like that because you talked about relevancy, right? Like with the COVID example. Um, so you have to take into consideration, yeah, market trends, like or or like world trends, mm-hmm. for instance, that, but then also just the jobs to be done, right? Like right. this is the content that we already have. This is the content that we actually need to fill, like with this report, thinking through that as well. So yeah, those are a few things that, that stood out to me. I think that'll helpful for people.
0: Taking a customer first mindset, what do they need? What information would help them get their jobs done and have a happier life? That's what I always try to think of. It's not just about getting your work done. It's It's also about having a happier life, right? Because it's a lot of emotion involved in buying decisions. It's not just about, oh, I'm going to buy this software because it's going to make my job easier. It's like, oh, so that I can impress my boss, so that I can get a promotion, so that People look at me like I'm competent. So there's a lot of emotions going on. So I like to think of it from both angles.
1: Yeah, yeah, I love that. I think we should clip that part. <laughs> no, because because I say that all the time, but it really does come back to that. Like, even though I'm I'm not marketing to marketers anymore, marketing to salespeople, like what I have to still go back to is what would I read this? Like, what I care about this and just frame it up in a different way? So right. for instance, like if i like tactical stuff or if i like teardowns, like what's the sales equivalent that i can do of that it's a little bit like more sophisticated like there's more research like that goes into it but that's kind of my like double check of like what i even listen to like what i listen to this what i what i read it what i go to it and so having that i think as a as a check for research reports of like is this something that i would consume if i was a if i was a ceo or if i was the cio or whoever you're trying to target is this something that I would make time for mm-hmm. and just uh, answer that question. And then if, if no, like keep, keep brainstorming. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So, so project management though, like in, in general, we, we talked through like some of the, the planning that goes into it. So just as an overview, planning, data collection, data analysis, report writing, report and design, web dev and like rev ops, organic promotion, PR paid promotion, sales enablement, post launch so that's that's the overview i, I think feel like we went into planning quite a bit do we, do you want to go into data collection a little bit
0: Sure, so just today, as an example, I met with our director of demand gen to plan out our KPIs for our next report, which is gonna go live in January. So like I said, give myself 90 days and sometimes start planning even earlier if I can. So she and I sat down today and we were like, okay, so we have our basic KPIs, but sometimes we wanna look at something else. So here's an example of what we talked about today. Beyond all of our basic KPIs, we said, why don't next time we install Hotjar on the HTML page, right? So now we look at how many people view the HTML page, what's the time on page, are they actually reading what we're giving them or not? And now we have Hotjar on some of our primary web pages, but we haven't used it on a report yet. So we said, wouldn't that be interesting just to see what parts of the report they're interacting with most? Because we do spend a lot of time getting subject matter expert external quotes and putting that on the page, you know, having some key findings that we expand on and we give some insight as to why we think this might be the case. And we're just curious to see if people are kind of like skimming past that and going right to the charts and really hovering over the charts and clicking um, on certain things that might be surprising to us. And that could inform how we format our HTML pages going forward for the best results. So it's kind of something where we don't just set it and forget it, like on autopilot, we're always trying to think, is there anything we could do different? What are we not seeing that we could be seeing? And then of course, the regular KPIs, like I mentioned before that I care about, and then there are some category KPIs that we look at as well
1: nice okay cool so i guess there's two steps of data collection for reports because you have your literal like data collection like of the of the survey results but then like as a marketer like you're collecting data on the people reading those research reports so it becomes very meta but i like to answer because i i might not have even like gotten to that part of like the actual marketing part of it (laughs) like how do we assess like whether or not this is working and the thing that that made me think of is we we're talking about this gating and giving them a little piece of content on that landing page but having hot jar on there or something equivalent you can see like yeah what pieces that they want and then yeah, like you said change your landing page next time decide if you want to offer or ungate like more of that content mm-hmm. because ultimately that is if you are gating it that's selling them on clicking that button right or right. giving your email address uh, to ungate and so like actually thinking about it as a as a landing page, like rather than like a gate a gated page, mm-hmm. and thinking about like how much information you need to sell them on the full report is really smart. So taking kind of like all of that those findings or all of that data from there, I think is actually a cool cool way of looking at that. So data analysis, we we mentioned that that you really need a professional for that. You mm-hmm. <laughs> you actually need like a data analyst, and so either having it on your team, outsourcing that. I won't go too much into that, but definitely hire a professional for this part is what I'll say. And I don't know if you do like a designer, if you have that role together, but sometimes there's like data visualization people. So just quick question on that. Do you separate those roles or those one?
0: So you could, we are lucky that we do it in house. So we, whoever writes the report um, puts together the chart based on this spreadsheet that our data scientists provide to us. They really make it really easy for us to take the data insights and run with it. So what we do is we have a meeting where the writer and the graphic designer sit together to talk about the charts, because the worst thing you ever want to do is give some like random chart instructions to a graphic designer. because it's really hard to visualize data. You always want to make sure that they understand the data and you have conversations about what might be the best way to show that data. Sometimes it's a bar chart. Sometimes it's a pie chart. Sometimes it's not a chart. Sometimes it's just some sort of graphic. Like one time we had, I think it was like 70% of people uh, quit their jobs. So we had little cute people graphics and we had like seven of them and each one represented 10 people. So it was 70%. So sometimes there's fun creative ways to represent data. And particularly if your graphic designer is not really experienced with doing re- reports and data visualization, you might need to have more conversations. You might want to pull in your data scientists if you have one and work as a team to guide that person. So, yeah, I'd say it's definitely possible to not- do it in house or you could find somebody to do it for you if you don't have the capabilities yourself.
1: Nice. Okay. So, so if it's, if it's not one person, it's very collaborative, right? Like Mm -hmm. the data science scientist talking to the designer, both of those people talking to the writer. And that sounds like you have a, an in-house writer to write the report. Mm -hmm. So how much time uh, do you do a lot for that? a week for like the writing of the actual report a week. Yeah.
0: So okay. we work in sprint. So I will give the writer a full week. That doesn't mean they're doing 40 hours of writing because other things come up. They have meetings, they do some editing, you know, they might be working on a work stream for a key initiative. So it doesn't mean 40 hours. It just means I don't give them anything else for that week. So maybe it works out to 30 hours of time.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. That's good to know for people who are trying to plan this right now. Yep. Okay. So we talked about design. We talked a little bit about web dev. So I'll kind of gloss over that, get into a couple other things here. Yeah. And then I think just the rest of it is a lot of promotion, right? Organic promotion, PR, paid promotion, sales enablement. We didn't get into that as much. So I'll ask you just kind of briefly on what what things you do for sales enablement.
0: We've done a lot of different things. So one thing I will share is that we have a partner network. So global partners that sell and service the software in our workshops to clients. So when I think of sales enablement, I'm not just thinking our direct sales team that sits in headquarters with us. I'm thinking of how can we enable our partners to be successful in distributing this report? And so there's different ways you can approach it. You can do traditional sales enablement. So you're putting together you know, a one pager for sales with some key messages and the most important stats. And maybe you're meeting with one of the sales leaders to run through this and make sure that they understand it. That's pretty basic. I mean, above and beyond that, it would be finding creative ways to help your partners distribute the content. So one time, <clears throat> as an example, excuse me, we did like a little teacher's guide. If you remember... Um, teacher's guides. If you've ever seen one before, they're just like little call outs. So we had the exact same report that we gave to the world. Then we had a teacher's guide. So there'd be like little speech bubbles next to certain findings saying, like, use this um, pain prompt when talking to a prospect, like ask them this question that pertains to this data point. So just giving them suggestions of how to best utilize the data. And then you can give them tips on how to actually market the report, because a lot of consultants, they're brilliant, um, but they're not marketers. They've never done that as a job. So they need a lot of help. So it could be something as simple as, hey, like, here's a sample social post, you can make it your own, but it should say something like this. And here's the right format, if you're going to put this out on Twitter, or if you're going to put this on LinkedIn. So just kind of really helping them get as many eyes as possible on the content.
1: Yeah, no, that's brilliant. The the thing about the teacher's guide and the call outs is funny. Like I was laughing a little bit because our product, like, like duly people know it from the, for the pipelines and like the notes feature, but like one of the features is this thing called playbooks, right. Which is kind of exactly what you're describing, but a digital version that is like AI powered. And so for instance, like you type in a competitor's name, then there'll be like a little playbook, right. That pops up. And so I was like, Oh For these types of reports, like that would be a really useful thing, like to pop up in in a sales conversation, right, to be triggered by certain things Mm -hmm. of like, oh, yeah, we know that sales doesn't like updating their pipeline or that they do it at the end of every quarter because of this report that we recently did Mm -hmm. and this data that shows that that's how that's what they do. Right. And so having like actual numbers is, I think, especially helpful, like when talking to the C-suite, right, like we want to see they want to see the data. And, and so using it that way, I think, is really smart. And I, I think a missed opportunity oftentimes is like using a, an actual research report for sales enablement, because ultimately that's that's the goal, right, right. is to, to drive sales. <laughs> and so like, why are we not giving, giving that information to sales more? It's really smart.
0: I agree. I mean, marketing's role okay. is to make selling easier. So that's what we should be doing. And we should be besties with the sales team. And when org- organizations like marketing and sales have a rivalry, it's just always... So strange to me. I don't get it. I love our friends in sales.
1: Yeah. I mean, if, if, if no, if no other takeaway, like that's, that's it, right? (laughs) Like marketing should make sales easier. Reports are a really good way to do that. (laughs) Like sales likes numbers and also people in general, like numbers with visuals too. Like, yeah, if you can make like a fun pie chart, that's literally a pie like that. That's fun too. So yeah, both of those things combined. All right, so communication in general, we talked about how uh, collaboration is important. There's lots of people involved. So how how does this happen? Like, do you use a project management system? I would imagine so, it's, it's are things happening in Slack too? Just a little bit on your project management tools.
0: So we're a typical tech company at PI. We have Asana and Slack, and that's where we do most of our work in collaboration. We also have other tools that we use for collaborating. Um, like we use Miro and figma and things like that so those are all tools that we would use as part of the research report but yeah i mean project managing all happens in asana all of it like that's my baby and it's pretty easy because i have my template which is my board roll all the steps and those steps get easily added to other boards so for example my uh, team the content team they live on the content calendar that's their board So they might never go to the actual report board. That's my board. That's where I'm project managing. They'll see it because during the kickoff meeting, I walk every single person down the entire board so that they're all clear on all the different moving pieces. And then they might not see it again. Or, you know, RevOps, they're setting up tracking. They're setting up the campaign name. They're not going to come look at my report board. They're going to look at their RevOps board. So Asana is super easy for adding tasks to all the right boards so that everybody knows what they have to do. And then Slack would just be for quick questions like, hey, do you have this ready? Hey, this is running late. And then Figma it's where we wireframe the HTML page. That's a really easy tool. And then Menti, not, not Menti, I'm sorry, Miro. We use Menti too for polls. It's super fun. Miro is when we have brainstorms. So every two weeks, I run a biweekly brainstorm and occasionally we'll brainstorm for promotion like hey let's get in a room and talk about some new ways that we might use the report data so sometimes we have we just talk about it and then sometimes we do uh Miro are you familiar with Miro's like little stickies and people can brainstorm on zoom together
1: oh yeah. yeah 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 no I I love it like Miro's Miro's great and I feel like it's like easy Figma like I love Figma too and I think as a designer like It's a better design tool, but as a non-designer, like Miro is great. And so highly, highly recommend in our Slack the other day, actually, there was a question of like, what's your, what are your top like productivity tools? Right. And so obviously like everyone's like Dually, but, but Dually, Salesforce, Miro, Slack, those are the big ones that, that came up. So next steps for people, though, what advice like would would you give people? Because it, I, I feel like it doesn't sound easy. It definitely there's definitely steps involved. Like some of these, it's like, well, this is easy. Like I can, you can go and do it, and then they run into challenges. This one, I feel like there's definitely a lot of steps. Like you're definitely going to run into challenges. So, just what advice would you give content marketers that are looking to do this for the first time?
0: Yeah, I think of a research report like advanced content marketing. So I wouldn't recommend that anyone that doesn't have a good fundamental understanding of marketing and content strategy approach this it's probably not quite you're not quite ready but if you're already doing things like blogs and ebooks and videos and all like the kind of basic things I say do it you'll for sure struggle a bit at the beginning um, because there's like some growing pains but once you do one or two of these like you're going you have your template you have your systems people know what's expected of them and There's just such a huge benefit in so many ways of doing this report. So I would say, do it as you hinted at earlier, document everything. I have a system for this. So I have my kickoff meeting. And then at the end of my template is everything that happens after the report is promoted and distributed. And that is basically like a post-mortem. So I have a meeting where we kind of tie up all the loose ends and I use those learnings um, to inform the process that next time it always gets better and better because iteration is important. And I would say it's great that we have these systems now where we can share knowledge with one another, whether that's on webinars or on LinkedIn. Um, Definitely rely on people you know who already do this successfully Um, A lot of times they're more than willing to share their knowledge and help you. So I would say have a good network of people that you know that do reports. And then there are different ways that you can kind of borrow or steal people's playbooks so that it makes it easier for you, that you're not starting from
1: scratch. Nice. Those are yeah, no, those, those are great tips for people. Okay, so so final kind of like wrap up here, if you want to just tell people about the course that you've ar- like already created for this to make this even easier for folks.
0: Sure, so I created the Research Report Playbook on Gumroad. It just went live about a week ago and it, com- it contains my complete template, which is my playbook, so that if you want to project management, pro- project manage it yourself, you can. If you want to write it and have someone else project manage it, you can. It's basically plug and play. You just need to have some sort of content marketing acumen in place. It's not for people, like I said, who don't already do good content marketing. It's for people who want to level up and create the kind of content that drives qualified pipeline, revenue, press mentions, et cetera. So if anyone would like to check that out, please do. You can either go to... LinkedIn, find me, I'm the only Aaron Balsa on LinkedIn, very lucky. And if you go to my page, there's a huge advertisement right on my page You can click it and get to Gumroad. Or if you go to Gumroad, you can just search the research report playbook and it should pop right up. And if you do check it out, please let me know if it was valuable and please let me know what kind of success that you're having with your research reports. Cause I really wanna hear, I love research reports. People tease me like, what a nerd. I'm like, they're so fun love them
1: no i think yeah after after going through that course you'll probably love them too talking to the audience here Uh, i feel like that was confusing (laughs) but no i think that was a a great sell and everybody who like feels like they're at a good spot like with their content marketing like with with blogging with social whatever your kind of primary channel is then consider adding something like this because what was it 160 hand raisers from a webinar, like, it's pretty good, pretty good. Uh, you're probably not getting that right now and uh, a good one to look into. So Erin, thank you so much for being on the show for walking us through uh, all those steps. And I will go let you pick up your kids now.
0: Thank you. It was so fun. Thanks for having me. And it was great to hang out with you. And I hope to see you soon again.
1: Thanks for listening to Content Logistics. This episode is produced by Motion, a done-for-you B2B podcasting agency for busy marketers. If you liked what you heard, please follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.